0: It's, it's wonderful to see all of you here today. I'm not quite ready to abandon my coffee yet, so I'm going to hold on to that just for a minute. But um, I'm glad that all of you are here. We don't often start this way, but I would like for you to stand with me this morning, and we are going to pray. I want to pray for two things. Uh, I, I want to pray for our service today. Brother Murphy mentioned and Brother Holland mentioned uh, that this was a gateway and uh, into what God has for our church after this weekend, and if this was a gateway, I can't wait to see what's on the other side, because everything opens up on the other side of the gate. Things get broader, and um, I'm, I'm really excited. If this is really a gateway, then there's some awesome stuff coming, so I want to pray for our service today, and Troy mentioned, he's, he's, and I, I feel this too, just a, just a burden for, um, for what's going on in, in the coastal region of Texas right now with the flooding. We know what that's like, Uh, We know firsthand what their experience is. And so we want to pray for everyone um, that's going through that storm and for what's ahead of them over the next few weeks. So let's pray for them as well. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for allowing us to be in this place. Y'all pray with me. Thank you for allowing us to be in this place today and, and to be able to experience you. God, we pray that. You would be revealed to us, Lord, in a new way, in a special way today. God, if this is a gateway, what must be waiting on the other side? We're so excited about what you're going to do in this place today. God, we just want our hearts and minds and spirits to be ready to receive what it is you have for us, Lord. God, we lift up what's going on in in coastal Texas right now. and, And you see everything that those people are going through. You know what the future holds for them. God, I pray that you would send resources send angels of mercy God I pray that you would keep people safe and I pray that you would strengthen them God for what lies ahead Lord in Jesus name in Jesus name be merciful Lord in your name amen amen thank you for that God bless you you can be seated thanks for being here uh thanks for coming back those of you that come back on a regular basis that that kind of makes me happy I appreciate you doing that so Thanks for being here today. And for all of you podcasters out there, thank you for listening in. Uh, we're going to get together on September 9th. Is that right? What time? Six o'clock. Six o'clock. There we go. Who likes Brenner? Breakfast for dinner? All right, Mark, I'm with you on the same page. We do this at my house uh, pretty frequently. We'll have, we'll have breakfast for dinner. Well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a get-together with all of us next people, and we're going to have some breakfast for dinner. And there's, uh, there's a, a sign-up sheet that's been emailed or is going to be emailed to you. Uh, so go on there, sign up, come out, hang out with us. We're just going to have a good time and have breakfast for dinner. So uh, we would love for you to come out and hang out with us. All of you podcasters out there, feel free to get in and come join us. But I want to thank Renita and Michelle for getting this together. And, um, if you have any questions, I'm going to urge you to see them because that's all I know. So, um, if you have any questions, talk to Michelle or Renita, Michelle, raise your hand. I may not know who you are. Renita, she's the lady in the back running things today. Thank you so much for your help. Last week, we started a new series based on the purpose driven life by Rick Warren. And uh, we, we covered three big ideas last week, and um, I just want to do a real quick review with you today. The first one is that it all starts with God. It all starts with God. It's not about you. You were made for God, not the other way around. And life is about letting God use you for His purpose, not your using Him for your own purposes. It all starts with God. It's not about you. The second big idea we covered last week was that you're not an accident. You're not an accident. God has a reason for everything that he creates. And he had a reason for creating you. And he designed you with a purpose in mind. So it all starts with God. You're not an accident. And then the third one was a question. Anybody remember? What drives my life? Thank you, BT. Appreciate that. What drives your life? What's driving your life? Is guilt driving your life? Resentment? Anger? Anger? Materialism. Approval, fear, what's driving your life, all of those things I just listed, those are very harsh taskmasters. They're hard to live under, and there's not a lot of benefit to living under things like fear and letting fear drive your life or letting materialism drive your life. There's not much benefit to be had, but there are benefits to living a life that's driven by purpose. And we finished up last week talking about those five benefits. So real quick, those were knowing your purpose, first of all, gives meaning to your life. Knowing your purpose simplifies your life. Who would like to have a simplified life in here today? Uh Uh-huh. One person. Thank you. Now, who would like to have a simplified life? Yes. Knowing Knowing your purpose gives meaning. It simplifies your life. It focuses your life. It motivates your life. It makes it easier to get out of bed in the morning. And finally, it prepares you for eternity. So that's what we covered last week. Now, next week, I'm just going to give you a little teaser, a little teaser. The first of five purposes for your life. The Bible says that there are five purposes for your life. And we're going to cover the first of those five next week. And that's planned for God's pleasure. And then there are four more after that. And we're going to cover all five. So next week, plan for God's pleasure. We're going to talk about worship. We're going to talk about being a friend to God. That's next week. This week, I want us to spend some time talking about seeing life from God's point of view. So this is kind of like, what am I here for? Part two, the sequel. Uh, We we talked about what am I here for last week? This is this is the sequel to that. But it's really we're honing in on seeing life from God's point of view, looking at our lives from God's perspective. Now that on the surface, it sounds pretty arrogant. It, It sounds Uh, a little bit presumptuous, whatever. Oh, you you think you can see life from God's point of view? His ways are higher than your ways and his thoughts are not yours. I get it. Okay. But the thing is, we've got Bible for this. God gave us scripture to show us how he looks at our lives. So it's okay. We've got scripture and I I really feel like this is going to help somebody today. So I need to see life from God's view. So if, you, if you're using your next notes today, that's what I would put as the title. Seeing life from God's view. Author Anais Neen said, We don't see things as they are. We see them as we are. We don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. In other words, the way you see life shapes your life. Your perspective will influence how you invest your time, how you spend your money, how you use your talents, how you value your relationships. There's that word again. So legit question. And I sent this out via remind yesterday. And if you didn't get it, if you're not in on our next remind, uh, Julia can tell you how to do that. Um, Julia, wave your hand back there yeah she can tell you how to do that i always forget but if you want to be a part and get those little those little reminders that i send out during the week i'll send you some little tidbits during the week always at a respectable hour i I never catch you early and i don't send it late it's always pretty pretty respectable of your time um so if you'd like to do that get in on the remind group if you did get it and didn't respond uh which most of you didn't uh Matter of fact, only one person did. I, I hope you feel real bad and I hope the love bugs like your car more than anybody else's for the next two weeks. Mm-hmm. But but here's a question, but I'm not bitter. Here's the question I ask you to think about. Um, how do you picture life? How do you picture life? What image comes to your mind whenever you think about life? What is your life metaphor? What is your life metaphor? This is this is your conscious or even your unconscious description of how life works. And uh, it, it shows what you expect from life. And it probably shows what you value. I get some responses. Anybody want to throw something out there? there? There are a lot of cliched answers. Y'all are struggling this morning. Let me give you one example. Life is like a box of chocolates. That's a simile, yes, but it's close to what we're getting at. Thank you. So you can change that just by saying life is a box of chocolates, right? You take out the word of comparison, English nerd. Okay, I got all that. I'll run circles around you with that stuff. Hey, I did it for twenty years, so. But anybody else, what's your life metaphor? What's your life metaphor? Okay, that's, that's not really a metaphor, but I appreciate the help. What, what is that? Uh, what image would that convey to you, Kelton, if you said, I'm going to live life like there's no tomorrow? Okay. All right. Life is not a dress rehearsal. Okay. What's that mean, Jewel? hmm. Okay. Some people look at life as a party. They value having fun. Life is a party. They value having fun. Some people would tell you life is a race. And they value speed getting there first. Some people might tell you life is a marathon and it's a grind and they value endurance. I might not be the fastest, but I can outlast you. Some people might say that life is a battle. Life is a game. Which means you value winning. Or beating other people. The Bible offers three metaphors that teach us God's view of our lives. So I'm going to give these to you and then we're going to go through each one. The first one. Ashley Tipler, is that life is a test. That was my one respondent yesterday. Life is a test. The second one is that life is a trust. Life is a test. Life is a trust. And the third one is life is a temporary assignment. Life is a temporary assignment. So, Tip, whenever you sent that to me yesterday and, and you said that you think of life as being like a test, um, you absolutely crushed it. You, you nailed it. Because we have good scripture for that. So this is big idea, number one, that life on earth is a test. Life on earth is a test. And you see this metaphor in several stories throughout the Bible because God continually tests people's character, their integrity, their faith. He tests people's obedience. He tests their love. He tests their loyalty. You know, words like trial and temptation and refining and testing appear over 200 times in Scripture. God's about this business of testing. God tested Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They blew it, by the way, in case you were wondering. They they bombed that one. God tested Noah by asking him to build a boat for 120 years. 120 years. He's the only one on task. People looking at him crazy. I don't know if I could have held up. God tested Abraham by asking him to offer his son Isaac. He tested Jacob whenever he had to work extra years for his wife Rachel. God tested Joseph in Potiphar's house in prison. God tested David and Ruth and Esther and Daniel and Peter and Paul. God tests The character of those he intends to use. Life is a test. He has to see what you're made of. You know, Samson and and Saul and Eli and Solomon are, they were very gifted leaders. But they were complete disasters as leaders. Not because of their gifting. There was absolutely nothing wrong, Brian, with their gifting or with their design. There wasn't a flaw in their design. There was a flaw in their character. There was something missing in their character. Folks, you're always being tested. God watches your response to people, to problems. God watches your response to success and victory. God watches your response to conflict. He watches what you do whenever you're disappointed. Disappointed in someone else or disappointed in life or even disappointed in him. He watches what you do with fulfillment. He's watching that. And based on the Bible, we know, we can know what types of tests to expect. You In your life, you can expect to be tested by major changes. Abraham, I want you to pick up and I want you to go to a land that I never showed you. Major change. Transition. You can expect to be tested by delayed promises like abraham like hebrews waiting on their deliver you can expect to be tested by impossible problems you can expect to be tested by unanswered prayers come on somebody you can expect to be tested ooh with undeserved criticism and you can even expect to be tested by senseless tragedy God will test your faith through how you handle problems. He will test your hope by how you handle possessions, and He will test your love through how you handle people. And one huge and important test that you'll face is how you'll respond whenever you can't feel God's presence in your life. Anybody ever been there? One person? Who's been in a place where you couldn't feel God's presence? He will test you through that. Sometimes God will pull back and we can't sense his closeness like we have at times past. King Hezekiah went through it. In 2 Chronicles 32, 31, it says this. However, when ambassadors arrived from Babylon to ask about the remarkable events that had taken place in the land. Watch this. God withdrew from Hezekiah. In order to test him and see what was really in his heart. God pulled back from Hezekiah at a very crucial point in his life. Why? To test his character. I want to see what's what's really in there, Hezekiah. And what happened was it revealed a weakness in Hezekiah. He didn't handle that situation with the the Babylonian ambassadors exactly right. And I don't want to sound gloomy and I don't want to sound depressing or heavy handed or any of that stuff. But Hezekiah didn't really do much after that. Nate. Whenever you read about it in in Kings and in Chronicles, because it it tells a story twice. he, He doesn't really do much after that. The Bible talks about how he died, about who took over after him. But that's it. That's the end of his story. And I'm not saying that Hezekiah lost out with God and and went to the bad place or anything like that. But it doesn't look like Hezekiah really did anything later in life. And I have to wonder if it's because he couldn't move past this point of testing in his character. Maybe God wanted to do more with Hezekiah. Maybe God had more things in store that he would have brought into Hezekiah's life Maybe God wanted to give Hezekiah something greater, but Hezekiah's character couldn't handle it. God didn't. He didn't do it because his character couldn't handle it. Folks, our character has to be consistent with our calling. The level of our character has to be consistent with the level of our calling so we don't make a mess. So we don't make a mess of ourselves and we don't make a mess for other people. And so God's going to test our character to be sure that we can handle what's coming in the next season of our life. Now, the good news is, this is really good news, is that we have plenty of examples in Scripture of people who did handle the test the right way. Samuel, David, well, sometimes. I mean, there was that adultery thing and the murder thing, but other than that, he was a man after God's own heart. So that no, that, and I'm not saying that to make light. It's, it's true because that means even whenever I mess up colossally and I make a gigantic mess, God can still use me. My mistake does not remove his calling on my life. My mistake does not preclude him from using me again if I'm willing to repent and if I'm willing to get my heart back right with God. There's hope for me. Daniel Ruth, Esther, Elisha, and Elijah all were people that that are examples of of handling the test, Ash, the right way. And God used that time to prepare them, watch this, for more responsibility in the future. That's why teachers test students. Are you ready for what's coming in the future? Now, some teachers will give you the test and you flunk it and they're like, well, we're gonna keep on rolling. Good teachers look at the results of the test and say. I really want to move forward, but you're not ready. And then what happens? Let's reteach. And then we'll take the test again. So be encouraged because your testing might reveal some deficiencies in you. Don't run from them. Instead, let God work on them. Steve, let God process you. When you realize that, that, that the testing is, is a preparation for the next level, when you realize that life is a test, you understand that nothing is insignificant. Every day is an important day. Every interaction is an important interaction. Every day is another opportunity for growth. Every day is a chance to, to deepen your character or to demonstrate love or depend on God. And some of your tests, some of your tests, are they're huge and they are overwhelming and they're frustrating and they seem to never end. And some of them you don't even notice at all. You don't even notice that it was a test. But all of them had significance. And the good news is God doesn't set you up for failure. God doesn't set us up for failure. He wants you to pass. Y'all ever had a mean teacher that you knew just wanted everybody to fail the test? Hate kids, I'm going to give them a test and they're all going to fail and it's going to make me happy and just confirm my bias. Right? That's not God. Don't think of God that way. God wants you to pass the test. And so he equips you so that you won't fail. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. The temptations, some translations say test. The temptations or tests in your life are no different from what others experience. You're not the only one. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation. He will not allow the test to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Life is a test, but God doesn't set you up for failure. He set you up for success if you'll rely on him and trust him. So big idea number one. Life on earth is a test. Here's big idea idea number two. Life on earth is a trust. A trust I wish I had a trust a few billion dollars in it y'all see that lady that won that Powerball 758 million I think if she takes a lump sum it's 330 million dollars poor thing (laughs) she told work don't expect me to come in tomorrow done but she had already been working there 31 years so she was probably ready to retire anyway life on earth is a trust This is the second metaphor for life from the Bible. Life on earth is a trust. Our time on earth, our energy, our intelligence, our opportunities, our relationships, there's that word again, our resources. All of these are gifts from God that he has entrusted to our care and management. We are stewards. A steward is an overseer. A caretaker, we are stewards of whatever God gives us. That stewardship begins with the recognition that God is the owner of everything and everyone on earth. Psalm twenty-four and one says this: the earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. The world and all of its people belong to him. We never really own anything during our brief stay here on this planet. God loans the earth to us. He loans breath to us. He loans time and energy and opportunity to us while we're here. It was God's property before you got here. And whenever you die, he's going to loan it to somebody else. You just get to enjoy it for a little while. You know, it started back in the garden. Whenever God created Adam and Eve, he entrusted the care of his creation to them. And then he appointed them as trustees or caretakers or stewards of his property. Look, Genesis chapter one says this. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. So they had a bunch of fruits. That was funnier in my head. Fill the earth and govern it. Some of you don't have small children, because if you did, you would know. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. God said, I made all this. Now, I'm putting you in charge. The first job ever given to man by God, the first calling, or the first appointment, if you will, was to manage and take care of God's stuff while they were here. And that order, guys, has never been rescinded. That order still stands. It's still in effect to this day. It's part of our purpose that's still in effect today. Everything that we enjoy is to be treated as a trust that God has placed into our hands. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. If you look at this, the second part of that verse, it says this. What do you have that God hasn't given you? Stop. Pause. Think. What do you have that God hasn't given you? Nothing. And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? We took the family to D.C. this past summer, and uh, Julia is a great travel agent. She got online, Airbnb or, you know, whatever that thing was. And she found us a place to stay this cool, like chic, modern apartment, uh, real close to downtown in d c and we could walk like a block and a half and get on the metro and and it was It was a super nice place. And, and all of the cars that I saw pulling in of the people that actually lived there. You know, got driving Beamers and Audis. And you go in, and they got the little person sitting at the desk all the time. And they greet the people that live there by name. They didn't greet us by name. They're just like, hey, y'all are renters for the week. You don't matter, whatever. But the people that really live here, we greet them by name. They had a coffee bar that was always ready in the morning. And and it was a cool place. And Julie said, you know, uh, what was it? Was it five? How much was it? It's not that much, was it? How much was it for people that actually bought? Yes. Seven or eight thousand dollars a month. It was a swanky place. I enjoyed staying there for a week. But here's the deal. While we were there, we treated it like our house. We lived in that place. Sometimes it got a little messy. We weren't there to take care of their swanky apartment. We were there to check out D.C., But we we took care of it because we knew at the end of the week. We're going to be held accountable for the condition that this apartment is in. We're going to have to give it back to the owner and say, this is how I took care of what you loaned me while I was here. First Corinthians four and two says this. Now, a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful Must be faithful. Jesus himself drove this point home in the parable of the talents. Y'all heard that one before, right? The businessman's going away on a trip. And so he calls in the three servants and one guy gives five talents. Another guy gives two talents. Another guy gives just one. And then at the end of his stay, he comes back and he asks for an account of what the servants had done with what had been given to them. And they're rewarded according to how they used what they had been entrusted with. And Jesus is driving home an eternal principle here. He's not just telling a story for the sake of somebody to have something to say in Sunday school. He's driving home an eternal principle. He's saying that at the end of your life on earth, you're going to be evaluated and rewarded according to how well you handled what God entrusted to you. And look at what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. It says the master was full of praise. Well done. Well done. My good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. If you treat everything as a trust, God promises three rewards to you in eternity. First of all, you will be given God's affirmation. You say, good job. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You crushed it. You killed it. Thank you for doing such a great job. The second thing you'll receive is a promotion. Look at what happens. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more, many more responsibilities. God will give you greater responsibility in eternity. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. So you're going to get God's affirmation, and then you'll get a promotion, and then you'll be honored with a celebration. Let's celebrate together. Let, let's go to the best barbecue you have ever put in your mouth. And celebrate. Life on earth is a trust. And there's a reward based on how well you manage. The material that God has placed in your hands. And in your care. Time, money, energy, resources, talents, abilities. How you manage those things determines. How much God can trust you with spiritual blessings. Mm, I just blazed through that. I want you to hear that. How you manage those resources determines. How much God can trust you with spiritual blessings, the real stuff, the eternal stuff. Maybe, maybe the reason you haven't seen the spiritual blessings that you really want in your life is based on how you manage the material. And God is wondering if you can be entrusted with the eternal. Maybe God not giving you more is really a blessing. Because the Bible says in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, when someone has been given much. Much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. So maybe God says, if I give him more, I'm going to have to hold him accountable for more. And he's not managing what he already has very well right now. So instead of me holding him to an even higher standard, let me give him some time and opportunity to grow into what he already has. And what you think of as God being mean or God being stingy or God being slow is really God being merciful because he really he knows you're not ready to be held accountable to the responsibility that comes with more. We'll pray, Lord, enlarge my territory. Prayer of Jabez. Oh, come on, somebody. Go back with me to the year 2000. Oh, God, bless me. Oh, God, enlarge my territory. But God understands that with more territory comes more grass to cut. And if you can't manage what you've got now, weeds growing up, cars hiding in the grass. Refrigerators and washing machines piled up all over the place. If you can't handle what you've got right now. He's doing you a favor by giving you time to expand your capacity before he loads you down with the responsibility of taking care of more than what you can really handle. Oh, how I love Jesus. Y'all looking at me funny. Let me move on. Big idea number three. Life on earth is a temporary assignment. Life is on, on earth is a test. Life on earth is a trust. And life on earth is a temporary assignment. You were made to last forever. 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 Ecclesiastes 3 and 11 says this, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. Watch this. He has placed eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Isn't that a cool phrase? He's placed eternity in the human heart. How can eternity be planted, Haley, or rooted or have an established place inside of a human heart? It's a weird idea when you think about it. It's weird and kind of cool to think that God would put this constant reminder in the heart of every man, woman, and child that this life is not all there is. This is just, this is dress rehearsal, y'all. This is spring training before dressing out for varsity. This is a staging area. This is is the warm-up lap before the real race begins. This life that we are living right now is preparation for the next life, and it's the real life. Because this life is temporary. That life lasts forever. And deep down, here's the thing, deep down, you all know that. We all know that. Deep down, you have this inborn instinct that longs for immortality. That's why we do things like seek fame and try to leave a legacy because we want something to live after. There's this yearning in you for immortality. That's because God designed you in his image and he is immortal. So he put that eternal part of himself, he put a little piece of that. A little root of that inside of your heart. That's why death always seems unfair and unnatural. We, we, we went to Mama Vern's funeral most recently. And, and she lived, I mean, she lived a good life, a full life. But it still just doesn't seem right, does it? It's just, it's not fair. And it's not natural because whenever I look at her in the casket, that. Am I being morbid? Do y'all understand what I'm telling you? That's not natural. That's that's not that's not her. That's not who she is. It's because God designed you that way. And he, he put that inside of you. We're not originally made to die. We're made by God from the beginning to be eternal. Check this out. The Bible even teaches us that our earthly bodies are just a temporary residence For our eternal spirits. Look at 1 Corinthians 5 and 1 with me. For we know. That when this earthly tent. We live in is taken down. That is when we die. And leave this earthly body. We will have a house. In heaven. An eternal body made for us by God himself. And not by human hands. Did you catch that? The Bible calls your earthly body. A tent. But it refers to your. Your eternal body as a house. A tent is temporary. A tent is temporary. That's why Moses and Israel built the first tabernacle as a tent. Because they were nomadic. They were constantly moving. Tents are made with the understanding that eventually they come down. It's a temporary thing. And when you fully comprehend that there is more to this life than just the here and now. That life is is preparation for eternity. You start to live differently. It will color how you handle every decision, how you handle every relationship. There's that word again. How you handle every difficulty when you live your life in the light of eternity, your values change. Your priorities are reordered, reordered. Paul said in Philippians three, verses seven through nine I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless. What's he doing? He's, he's living in the light of eternity. Because of what Christ has done, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. So that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Look, next peeps, y'all, y'all listen to Coop. If your time here on Earth Was all there is to life, and there was nothing but oblivion waiting on the other side of your last heartbeat. If that were true, then I would suggest to all of us that we start living it up immediately. Don't worry about being a good person. Don't worry about ethics. Don't worry about morality. You go get yours and have as much fun doing it as you can. Because you're not going to be held responsible for anything that you do here in this life. But. (laughs) And this makes all the difference. Death is not the end of you. Death is not your termination, but Your transition into eternity. So there are eternal consequences for what you do while you're here today. No matter what you're experiencing, no matter what you're going through today. It's just the smallest tip of the iceberg. And you don't see. That vastness that's underneath the surface. Y'all have probably seen this before. Some of you laughed at me struggling with this rope earlier, but I, I, I stole this from Francis Chan. This is one of the first object lessons he ever did. So this right here, this is a hundred feet of rope and it's a tangled mess at the end. This is all, this is all eternity. Imagine every ocean in the world filled with this rope right here. That's a lot of rope. And that would just be the beginning of eternity. But this little blue part, this is life here on earth. This this is the totality of my human existence. I'm born here and I go to school here and I work really hard right here. So this last little part, these last, I don't know, 20 years, maybe 10 if I'm not really eating right. Maybe I'll get to travel and see some good stuff and, and I'll get to eat well. So I spend all of this for this part right here. But look at what's waiting on the other side. And I get so worried and I get so caught up and I get so, so frustrated about things that are going on right here in this blue part. And look at what's on the other side. And there's oceans and oceans on millions of worlds full of this rope. And this is what I'm so focused on. But this is not all there is. God's saying there's there's way more to you. That's why. The relationship is so important because he says, yeah, you got this part there and you don't always feel me and you don't always see me the way you want to, but you're going to have an eternity. Where we will be in relationship together. And I want that relationship with you forever. I love what C.S. Lewis said on the last page of the Chronicles of Narnia. That worked great. He said this, he said, for us, this is the end of all the stories. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world had only been the cover and the title page. No, at last, they were now beginning the chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on and on forever And in which every chapter is better than the one before. Now for some people, that's really frightening. That's really intimidating. But if you're in relationship with him, you look at this differently. What an incredible opportunity. That death is not the end of your life, but it's your birthday into your eternal life. Next week, we're going to start getting down to business. Purpose one of five, God's plan and then how you're planned for his pleasure. We're going to talk about worship. And we're going to talk about living in friendship with God. And we're going to talk about how to keep the worship and the friendship going, even whenever God seems distant. But for this week, I want to give you some next steps. I want you to take some time this week to think about where is God testing you right now? Where's God testing you? Is he testing your character? Is he testing your stewardship? Is he testing your response to people? Is he testing your time management? Where are you feeling the crunch? Where are you feeling the pressure in life right now? Where are you being tested? Some of you probably already know the answer to that question. So spend a little bit of time thinking about this. How are you doing? How are you doing? Ask God what he thinks. What you think is important and self reflection is a good thing, but ask God what He thinks about it. I bet He'll answer you if you ask Him. So that's your next step this week. Where am I being tested right now? God, how am I doing? How can I handle it better? It would be great if you would just take five minutes, just five minutes to think about it. God, where are you testing me? How am I doing? How am I handling it better? Can you do that in between now and Sunday? I bet you can. Let God talk to you about it. Thank you for being here today. It's time to go. I appreciate you all showing up. I hope you have a wonderful day. Let's have a great time in big church. God bless you. Bye.